with all not your truth or kindness, Lord. With all not your truth or kindness, Lord. Welcome to The Notice, where together we notice the mercy of God. I'm Susan Hookstra, your host. The Notice podcast explores our need to be noticed through biblical musings and conversation with special guests. Experience relevant topics and encouragement as we take notice of how the God of mercy satisfies. On this episode of The Notice, maybe you have wanted to adopt, but the financial cost has squashed your dream. Maybe you have a family member who is considering adoption. Did you know that at this moment there are 120,000 children in the United States foster care system feeling invisible, unnoticed, and waiting to be adopted? So join me as I talk with adoptive parent Marcy Bursack and author of the book, The Forgotten Adoption Option. We talk about what it's like for children to feel unnoticed, what it's like for the parent who wants to adopt, and how God takes notice of us through the process. Marcy Bursack describes the many roles she has had in her life, including being a car hop on roller skates, a golf care driver, a fundraiser for the underserved, and a computer programmer. But her childhood dream was always to be a magnet maker. It took Marcy Bursack five years to untangle the foster care adoption process, resulting in adoption of a pair of siblings. She wrote the book, The Forgotten Adoption Option, for those wanting to fulfill a child's dream, and is host of the Finding Forever Families podcast, where she interviews adoptive parents and children who have been touched by foster care adoption. She and her husband reside in Missouri with their two brave children. So Marcy, welcome to the podcast. Susan, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I've got to ask you, first of all, your bio kind of cracked me up because you said magnet maker. Tell us a little bit about that. Did you really want to be a magnet maker? I know. It sounds kind of funny. Like, did she make this up? No. So I was in first or second grade and I was in Girl Scouts and my mom worked at night and my dad worked during the day. So my dad was part of my Girl Scout troop. And my dad, just to give you a visual, he's got long hair and a ponytail. He's a really cool guy. And I remember we had a Girl Scout meeting where we were making magnets and we were using like some sort of plaster. We made a mold and we painted it and I put like a little magnet on the back of it. And I felt like in that moment, Susan, that I knew like that's what I was created for. And I said out loud to my dad, I want to be a magnet maker when I grow up. And I don't know if it was just him being reasonable or just and maybe having a bad day, but he looked at me and said, I actually do that. And I was like, well, why, why not dad? He said, there's, there's no money in that. <laughs> but I think what's interesting, right, is how you know we all know now, like I can go to my Etsy shop and sell magnets on it now, you know, on the side. So who knows, one day I might launch out, maybe it's all supposed to be woven into adoption and things like that. Maybe I'll have a whole collection of magnets I'll sell. Well, you know, um, we all have some dreams, but you also had another dream too. And I'd love for our listeners to learn about your background with adoption. What fueled you? What was your dream about adoption? So I don't know if I had like a carved out dream. I knew it just in my heart. So I actually didn't grow up in a Christian home season. I became a Christian through my locker partner for middle school. I got led to Christ before high school. 
And so my, my journey with Christ, I didn't grow up learning a lot of the felt board stories and things that some of my peers that, you know, now are in church with me, that they got to do those things. So what ended up happening is through my church in high school and then another church in college, I was able to go on mission trips and I had incredible moments. Um, a particular one, I was in Moldova, which is in Western Europe. It's actually the poorest country in Europe and um, unique to the United States. We have a foster care system now, but other countries, other continents have still the orphanage system where kids go and live in, in group dwellings. And so my, my group at church, we went and we helped these kiddos in orphanages in Moldova. Um, many of them were sent there, not because they were actually orphans, like their parents had passed away. It was because the parents elected, I can't afford you. Mm. And I had some specific interactions with some young women there. Um, but I remember coming back, leaving, leaving in our big 15 passenger van, coming back to the States and just in my heart being like, I'm going to adopt someday. Like I wanted to bring all those kids home with me. I can see such a great mm. need. Who's going after them? And the part that really was difficult for me to figure out was how uh, I, I married a man who uniquely his grandfather, his father's side, so his paternal grandfather was orphaned at the age of seven. He was in St. Louis in the 1920s and grandpa Sam, both of his parents had died of illness and Sam had two older siblings, Susan, and the two older siblings are adopted. And from what I can tell from family stories, it sounds like the older siblings could help out like in a farm life. And Sam was seven. He couldn't really do work. And Sam also was defiant. And my husband spent a lot of time with Grandpa Sam. Grandpa Sam um, has an incredible story of repentance. He just kind of made a lot of bad choices. He didn't have a family. He didn't have someone loving him. He slept in the back of grocery stores. Mm -hmm. He knew the police really well. And there's a moment in his teenage years that he is picked up by the police. And the officers got him in the back seat of the car and he's driving Sam. And he says, listen, Sam, this is the last time I'm going to see you in my car. The next time you're in my car, we're either going to go to the station or you're going to get out of my car right now. And I'm dropping you off at this church. And so Sam gets out and goes into the church. And the story is he walks in and sees a young woman teaching and he ends up marrying that woman and ends up becoming a Christian and ends up completely 180-ing his life. Wow. So my husband had always, as a child, wondered, like, what would have happened had Grandpa Sam been adopted? And we found out that Grandpa Sam was actually really artistic. My husband's an art teacher. Grandpa mm -hmm. Sam never got to pursue that. And we wonder, what if he would have had a stable, permanent, loving home? Could he have pursued those gifts God gave him? Mm -hmm. So my mm -hmm. husband really just shared this, like, what mm -hmm. happens to kids that are older? Like, why isn't anyone adopting them? How can we? And we really both just finally landed on, we want to help kids in our own backyard. We want to help Grandpa Sam. So that's how we ended up figuring out about foster care adoption. Well, that's a beautiful story. And, you know, I, I reminds me of this a quote that says, there are no unwanted children, just unfound families. Um, so tell me, you know, you talked about Grandpa Sam, but what ways does a child waiting for a family feel unnoticed? Well, I think there, there's so many layers to that, Susan, and some of it might differ based upon the age of the child. So I'm going to speak specifically to kids in foster care. Uh, most people know foster care is temporary caring for a child, right? And that's true, but it's actually only half true. 50% of the time, 50% of the time, kids in foster care will not return to their biological family. And that's the piece that goes unnoticed, is that then kids can't go somewhere and they need a family permanently. And so 
being unnoticed looks at looks like why are there 120,000 kids in our country in line waiting for us? Why why don't we know about them? Um, a lot of it too, if you look at the, the data on it, a lot of these kids are the age of Grandpa Sam. They're six, they're seven, they're teenagers. Um, they might have a lot of rough edges like many of us did when we were growing up, right? And so we can think, oh, don't worry about them. They'll, they'll figure it out. I figured out my life. And so it's really, I think, a matter of awareness that we just, we don't think about it. Where, where are these kids? Do we know neighbors that are foster parents? Do we know them that have adopted? And, and because of that, I mean, they're, they're, they're not 18. They can't publicly go out to the world and advertise themselves, right? Like I can go to you, Susan, and say, I have this need, can you help me? Because I have a phone to connect to you, but they don't know who you are. They don't know who I am. Mm-hmm. So how, how do we speak on their behalf to help people notice them? Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm writing this book um, called A Firm Grasp, and it's about feeling noticed in this notice me world. You know, I have a chapter in it called The Fan Club, and I kind of describe the fan club as our place where we get our initial validation and affirmation, where people actually notice us. You know, the fan club, it happened for me when I brought my daughter home from the hospital, and all of a sudden she just moved her lip, and I got super excited. And I realized, oh my goodness, I'm her fan. I'm president of her fan club, right? Well, somebody who doesn't have that already has a deficit, right? They're they're already starting off as a deficit. How does that play into this? I mean, do you really feel like you're president of somebody's fan club now? I think that as a parent, I feel very much like my kid's president of their fan club. I think, um, and I explained this in my book as well, that there are some invisible suitcases. So if you imagine that, whatever that kind of deficit was because there wasn't someone in your corner or you got my kids, for instance, got moved around to six different homes before mine. Um, they were very young and that's not an uncommon thing for kids going through the foster care system. And so you you might have a fan club for a little bit or you might not. And so it's kind of a peppered approach, but these invisible suitcases are really, kids are coming with different maybe unmet needs and different hopes and dreams that maybe like my magnet maker story, they never got to do. And so helping our kids unpack, helping kids in foster care unpack those invisible suitcases of maybe where they weren't taught how to do something. My son, for instance, um, he was four when we met. He couldn't figure out why it was taking him so long to eat a carrot, get teeth. And we noticed that he had only learned to chew and bite with his front teeth. And so he was trying to eat carrots with his front teeth. And so we had to teach him how to, you know, you bite with the front, but you chew with the back. And he just had never learned that. Mm-hmm. And it's just those little things that are invisible unless someone just takes that moment to say, you can do that. Let us teach you. But like, also, you have, I'll give you a mouth. But it's also you took notice, right? Yeah. You took notice. You know, I know it took, you have two foster kids that you adopted and it took you five years to untangle this whole mess. So I'd love for our listeners to hear, how, how did that happen for you? Tell us about your adoption story. Yeah, so my kids are actually biological siblings. Um, we met when my daughter was a week from being two, and my son was four. Um, essentially, we tried to figure out how to do this, Susan, and this is, this is years ago. This is like 2009, and so there's the internet was a very different animal at that time, and I couldn't find stuff. I tried to look, and all I'd see were big dollar signs, kids in different countries, and babies, and I'm like, I don't know what it is about me, but like, I don't want to have a baby, 
and even biologically, like we could have gone that path, but I was like, I don't have that desire. Like I, I really want to help older kids. And so what happened is the church we were at had an um, orphan cry expo where they brought in organizations from around the area that were helping nice. kids who were quote orphans. And they added, handed out this really wonderfully organized brochure. And I read for one of the organizations that they help Christian families adopt from foster care. And I was like, wait, I'm a Christian. Like, this sounds interesting. We stopped by the table. No one's there. What is there was one folder, one folder with the packet of everything we needed to get started. So I grabbed it. I grabbed it. We go home. And you would have thought my husband was like, uh, wait, I wasn't serious. This whole time we talked about adoption, like I wasn't actually serious. What are we doing? <laughs> so I dealt with the reluctant spouse for a bit of time, which was was humbling, right? Because I'm someone that's like, oh my goodness, let's sign up. Let's go be like the best at this. Let's go do it. And he was more of, can we slow down? And so we compromised. It was a two-page double-sided application. And I had asked him each night at bed, I said, let's just do one page together. And some of the questions on there, Susan, we had never discussed. So things like, how many kids are you willing to adopt? And I'm thinking, I'm from this huge family. I have like 50 plus cousins on one side. We should go for many. And my husband, who was practically raised as an adult child that has one sibling said, two is the most I'll ever do. And I'm like, we've never, ever discussed this. And so then there was a box of, will you accept siblings? So I declared, well, since you said two is the max, and I come from a large family, I have three siblings myself, I want them together. Like, let's get siblings, because that's probably not something many people say yes to. So fast forward, Susan, we get trained, and what ended up happening is we actually had a friend, a family friend, had two, a pair of siblings herself that she was fostering, and they were looking for an adoptive home. And as scary as it was to say, we've never met these kids, but we'll be willing to apply to be their forever family, we put our name in a hat, we had to do extra training, we went through the interview process, and they went with the other family. So in a day's mm -hmm. time, we went from like putting ourselves out there to feeling a very low low and it was that very nice Susan that we're feeling depressed you know we're feeling like let down and so my husband was sent to the grocery store with our stress boots and he was like I want a frozen pizza and I was like I want an entire bag of Oreos <laughs> in the right. store, setting up the tv to watch a movie or something and I opened my email Susan and in my email is another is an email that had been forwarded for a few days to multiple, this kind of just depicts how unorganized the system is. It had gone from about six different social workers to each other. It ended in my inbox. There were no photos, which is unique. And there were two paragraphs inside. And they said, we have a sibling set. They're from this particular county. We're looking for adoptive homes. And usually I could really quickly skim some of these emails and say, oh, this, these kids have this or that. Like, and there were things we had ruled out. Like we didn't want to help a child that was pregnant. That was a little too old for us. Um, we didn't want to have children that had maybe had past history of abusing animals. We have two small dogs. We just we were like, they're our first babies. And so we want to make sure we preserve the current family. And there were none of those red flags. And I was like, okay, I am going to help my husband because he's more of a, a latent thinker. I'm going to help him walk into this until I saw a bolded statement at the bottom. Applications due tomorrow. Oh boy. And I was like, oh no. So I did, I did what you're supposed to do, right? Like you're supposed to do with what you feel like is right. And so I started crafting an email. I started crafting the reply because part of our challenge was my daughter at the time was two and our license said we could help kids four and up. So we had to even get like a license change. So I have the email drafted gotcha. and my husband returns from the store. I was like, I need to tell you something. He was like, oh no, what is it? And I, was, I explained the email I'd read. There were no red flags. 
I wanted to throw her name in. And he said, I think it's a great idea, but let's sleep on it. And he said, no, actually, like, we kind of have to get moving because we kind of have to get our ducks in the row. So we did, Susan. I got a phone call a week later from our kid social worker telling us of the 10 families that had applied for one reason and another, we were the ones they picked. They'd never met us. We'd never met our kids. And how soon can we meet our children? Wow. And I'm at work. My husband's a teacher, so he can't talk during the workday. And so out of my mouth, out of my heart comes tomorrow. I don't know what I'm saying. It's a Friday. I don't know. Like, we already have plans for the weekend to help with this, like, event that you're helping with. And so then I'm like, I don't actually know where they're at. Because there were two different parts in Missouri with the same name. And we had mapped them thinking, oh, it might be the two and a half hour away one. No, no, no. It was the four hour away one. We got on the road at, like, 4 a.m. on a Saturday. Drove across state to nearly Iowa, so like Northwest Missouri, and we read a three-inch file on our kids, having never seen a picture, and all we got to see was all the different reasons why they'd gone in and out of care, like what the backstory was. We get to a park. The one foster family in their rural community was in their 70s. They lived on a farm, and they show up with our children, and we got to play at the park for endless hours and go down slides and, and ride little merry-go-rounds and have pizza together. And I remember they had asked while we were there, are you going to do this? Are you going to agree to this? And my husband on the way there already said, like, we are not saying yes or no in person. We're not acting on feelings. We need to, like, talk. Right. And so I declared that, like, we, you know, we can't tell you this right now, but we'll be in touch. So on the drive home, we had a hailstorm. We had a lot of emotions because we just interacted with these brand-new kiddos we'd never met. And I asked my husband, so what, what do you want to do? And he said, I want you to go first and tell me. And I don't know how to convince my husband. Like, so far, it kind of had been successful. And at the same time, I'm like, I don't know how you know. Like, do you just, like, know? Like, I can't meet someone and say, yes, I want to marry you. And so I look at him, and I said, I actually want to ask you one question. He said, sure. Tell me one reason why we shouldn't do this. And it felt like five minutes had passed of silence. And he looked at me and said, I don't have a single reason why not. So we called our social worker and we said, we don't know why we're doing this. We don't have any reason to tell you no. We're just willing. We're willing to do wow. this. And wow. so we came back home and picked up our kids the following Thursday. Well, what a story. You know, it reminds me of this other quote I, I had pulled up called, an anonymous quote. It said, instead of growing in my belly, they grew in my heart. Did something happen for you? Did you, did you feel a, a connection or did you just say, I committed, I've been wanting to do this, and these are who's in front of me. So it's interesting, right? Because there's there's like those sparks that people talk about, like they meet their future spouse, and like, oh, there's like this chemistry. And I don't know that I could tell you that I met my kids, and there was like, yeah, like, and I think part of it was because the rational side of what we were trying to navigate is we didn't want to operate out of emotion. Um, and so to me, I had actually done a lot of nannying, um, over the years. And so I, I was so used to just like meeting new kids and hanging out with new kids. And so to me, this was just another opportunity to love on new kids. So I don't know, Susan, if there was any magic eight ball that said, right. yes, this is the right kids or children for you. I just know that there, we knew we were supposed to do this. We wanted to do siblings and in front of us was this really cool opportunity. And we said, yes. Well, and it's interesting because in your book, you talk about that there's different ways to adopt. This isn't the only way, right? You said there's mm -hmm. domestic infant adoption, international adoption, and then adoption through foster care. So you settled in on this option. Tell me a little bit why. Well, I think for us, Susan, we had a heart for helping, my husband and I had a heart for helping kids in our own backyard. 
And so that eliminated international adoption. I mean, I, my husband and I actually had gone separately with our various churches to Moldova and had the same translator. So like we were around the same literal environment in another country. And there is great need there. And I think it's beautiful that there are kids that are able to be adopted from country to country. I think that's a beautiful option. But for us, because we knew Grandpa Sam's backstory of being here in the States, where there is a lot of opportunity and poverty here is poverty, but it looks so different, right, than many other countries. And yet there are thousands of kids, thousands of kids that were waiting and we didn't know about them. And so for us, like becoming aware and knowing that we wanted to do this was the, the place of, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I think furthermore to that, Susan, I think, you know, deep down, as much as I wanted to adopt, I remember at some point, my husband got married around, um, or in 2008, and I came to our marriage with a lot of student loan debt, and we knew it was going to take years, <laughs> years to pay that off, and it, in some ways, it was sort of a consideration of, if we're going to adopt, how much can we afford? And is it, you know, is it something we want to go into debt over? And I have many friends and family that have done the private adoption route, and many of them have taken out adoption loans. And we got married under the premise of let's not take on more debt. And so we kind of had it said, you know, we didn't want a baby anyway, but it's, you know, paying for this felt like a um, something we didn't want to do. It felt irresponsible based upon our values. And so I pointed this out in the book, and I made a chart. It's even on my website at forgottenadoptionoption.com. But I compare and show you the difference of expense and length of time for these different options. And foster care adoption uniquely has a price tag of zero to $2,500. And most people don't know that because when you have options like domestic infant adoption costs around $34,000 or more and international adoption costs $30,000 or more. And so to us being able to adopt, especially not just one kid, but multiple at a financial investment that wasn't causing us to go into more stress and debt was a really great opportunity for us. I know you talk about this in the book a little bit. Your your heart is to let other people know how, I don't want to say how easy it is to be a foster care parent, because I know it has its challenges, but, you know, to help you navigate it. You know, so you went from not only doing it yourself, but saying, now I see other people can do this and I want to encourage other people to do this. So you got laid a, this book on your heart. So tell me how that transition from doing it myself to trying to encourage others. Such a great question, Susan. It, it's interesting to hear the way you're asking it because in, in the moment I'm not realizing that the tapestry that God has me in. All I know is I'm just trying to find answers and in trying to find answers, I learned that my willingness is always asking. Mm. He's just saying, will you? And in that, I'm not the expert. I'm not the expert at all. I just said, sure. And, and, and just like anyone else that's in a relationship with another, with a significant other, I mean, you have to both be on the same page about this. And I think what, um, what I've learned, Susan, is many people don't know this, but they also don't know about foster care adoption. They also don't know there are actually four different ways within foster care to adopt. Most people don't know this. Um, my husband and I actually did not sign up to be foster parents. We signed up to adopt through foster care because we knew that there were kids who were waiting 
And what happened is our children were considered a legal risk placement, which meant that they were nearing, it was looking very, very likely that they would need an adoptive home. But in the current point in time, that wasn't on paper how it looked, if that makes sense. So like legally, they were still in the state's custody, but their biological parents still had parental rights. And so just a quick going backwards on that, there's four different ways in foster care. So you can, to adopt children, you can be a foster parent. And then like I mentioned earlier, 50% of the time, those children will not return to their biological family. So you could actually potentially adopt a child you're fostering. So that's one way to adopt your foster care. The second one is you could do what I did, which is you can allow children who are legally at risk of being taken from you to adopt them and pursue them. The third is that you might know a friend or family member. This often happens where say you're a teacher or you're someone like in a Bible study together and they come to you and say, hey, um, you know this child. Um, they've been in this group with you. Would you consider pursuing them for adoption? And those look more like kinship adoptions, meaning you're, you're kin, you're, you're related or, or sort of related. And then the fourth option is directly pursuing this 120, one of, many of, two of, whatever, these 120,000 children who are waiting. They're legally free. You can go online right now to adoptuskids.org, and you can browse kids. You can you can look at age. You can pick gender. You can, you can meet kids, and it doesn't even matter what state you live in. Like, they are ready to be adopted, and a lot of times people don't know that, and so for me, um, I didn't know what legal risk was. What is funny, Susan, is our licensing worker, she was brand new, and we loved her. We, we are still friends with her and in contact with her on, on a regular basis. But when this all came out, when we got, we, as the potential adoptive family, got contacted by our children's social worker, her mouth dropped. She said, this doesn't happen. Like, they're supposed to call out. Like, there's process. They're not following process. But the reality is the town, the county our kids were in, literally had one, like, one foster family. That's it. For their entire rural county and there was a lot in that rural county wow. so they had to place kids elsewhere and so I think what's interesting Susan is is we we were not my husband and I were not very public about our story we just kind of wanted to blend in we didn't want people to be asking a lot of background questions if we really wanted to protect our kids and just be a family instantaneously right and we had our own circle of friends and family that, that got to know under the skin what was going on but we were kind of quiet about it um and so we could just start our family, start expanding our family and, and, and being, being a family while also taking our kids monthly across state to see their biological family. So we'd have these up and downs of they'd kind of be in a place of stability. They'd go back to biological family. They would regress behaviors. Like my daughter would all of a sudden forget how to tie her own shoes, which wasn't like her. But when you're treated like a baby doll in one environment, but you're given independence in the other, you kind of regress to it. So we'd have these, these four-week cycles of having like a solid awesome week a week where it went way back and then we spent two weeks trying to help our kids go back to independence again. Mm -hmm. And what was really, really interesting in that Susan is nine months in, I had this epiphany. My husband and I, we have a basement studio where he does artwork and I do some creative writing and things. And I, I said to him, I said, you know, we're nine months into this. We were told it was supposed to take four months and I'm okay that it's not done. Um, but this is taking a long time. And if I was biologically delivering a child, we should be going to the hospital right now. Like we should be meeting this child and giving them our last name and all these other milestones. And I told my husband, I, I think, I think I'm supposed to do something. I think God is saying something in my heart. He's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I think I have to talk about this. Like, I think the reason why God wants this to be slow for us is because it, it, and it's, 
just like every other time in the Bible where I was just reading this morning in the Gospel of John, where there's, there's a, a man who's blind, and he's asked, well, is do they ask you this? Did this man become blind because of sin that he, his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, neither. It's because he's supposed to show God's glory through this. Mm. And so in that moment, I told my husband, I said, I don't know exactly what this means, but can I blog? Can I blog our journey so that people can peek in? And we, we set some ground rules of as, as we share these stories, as I type them, we would agree that we would never talk negatively about the biological family. Um, we would never disclose what exactly our kid's backstory was, but we would explain our journey. And Susan, in doing that, we'd have hundreds of readers. <laughs> we'd have like 200 people reading it. And I could see, I could see like there was this many readers, right? And we'd get like three or four comments. And it felt like a dagger because I was like, why aren't these people telling us who they are? Like this feels so vulnerable, and yet I don't even know who my audience is, right? Right. And and what God has taught me, Susan, in that is is that adoption is such a personal choice. It, it's a personal decision. Like there there's you can't just decide this in a day. Like right. oh, I want to go do this because there's 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 a lot of emotional investment, a lot of time investment, so all these pieces. And what I've learned through kind of being frustrated about who are these listeners, who are these people reading this, who are, who are the other people that I would love to talk and connect with and let them ask questions because we want to be a resource. We want to be helpful. And it was interesting when, when I felt like God was saying, I want you to let them peek. I just want you to let them taste and see without ever telling you because they can privately in their hearts think and they can mm -hmm. privately no, and you're you're helping them know. And so that's actually what propelled to the book then is because as I've had over time people come into my home, friends, friends of friends, it's like pre-pandemic, um, they all had the same questions. How'd you do this? And then during the pandemic, um, I had a new neighbor move in and our, our little chihuahuas were talking to each other. They're like in the, you know, in the morning and barking at each other on a morning walk. And she mentions adoption. And I said, that's really interesting. I don't know if you know, but I actually adopted my children. And her next question was, how did you do that? And I had just finished a Bible study online with my church, a parenting Bible study. And one of the leaders of the Bible study is an author. And before class started, you know, you on Zoom early, I had asked her, like, how, how did you do that? Like, how did you write a book? It was like a, a, a parenting story, a parenting Bible study. And she said, she looked at me, she says, Marcy, is God putting on your heart to write something? And I said, what? Well, yes, I think so. And I was kind of vulnerable because other people were listening. We're in the whole group conversation. And she said, I need to warn you. God put a story on my heart about how, like the book I wrote was about how to parent. Because the neighbor said, how are you doing this? Your kids are leading such straight lives. Like they're, they're making such good choices. And the neighbor said, I'll buy your first copy if you write it down. She gets so excited. Susan, she goes home. She starts it, loses her energy and stops. And she sure. doesn't finish. 20 Years later, she bumps into the same neighbor, and the neighbor's kids are adults now, and they've their 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 life choices are are not straight, and they're they're not solid. And she said she felt such conviction, wondering what if I would have written that down? Like what if I would have finished what she asked me to do? Could I have changed the trajectory of where her kids are now? And Susan, it was in July when I took a class with her and learned this. And I, I remember laying in bed awake going, if I don't write this down, 
what's going to happen in 20 years? What's mm-hmm. going to happen in 20 years mm-hmm. is I'm going to be the reason my kids haven't gotten adopted. Mm-hmm. Like there are kids, like it took us five years to research on our own. And I'm not saying we adopted the wrong children, but what if we would have been able to adopt five years earlier? You know what I mean? Like we, there are kids that needed us then. And so um, I actually asked the neighbor, I said, since you're someone that wants to know, I want to invite you to be one of my editors. And you're going to read this as someone that doesn't know any of the vocabulary. And you're, you're, the, you're the next person in my home. You're just reading it through a book. And so the insights that she provided, Susan, of, hey, you said this, can I get some examples, were critical to what is in the book today. So who who is it that this book is for then? Who is it that this book is for? Okay, so I have wonderful mentors in my life, and one of them is an entrepreneur. And he said, Marcy, I need you before you do anything else with your book to define your target audience. I was like, I don't know how to get started on that. Like, what does that right, mean? Right. And so we started brainstorming, and we found five segments. So I'm specifically trying to talk to people that have adopted through foster care. Why? Because anecdotally, I was at this group of social workers helping to recruit foster adoptive homes, and they said, for every one family that adopts through foster care, seven of their friends will do the same. And what I found is oftentimes, and that's that's me, I'm like marketing to myself and people that know what I've done. People like me don't know how to tell their friends. They just don't know. Like, so sometimes that seven number isn't reached because they just didn't know they just needed to talk about it. So I'm trying to help equip them to say, here's the manual, go talk about it. You can either share your story or share this story with someone else and how to do it. The second audience group is people that have wanted to adopt that have never done it. And maybe they haven't done it because they thought it was too expensive. The third group is um, kind of fun. It's people that know people that have adopted through foster care, which is all my friends, all my family and anyone else's. And so that's, you're most likely to do this too. Um, the fourth group, is um, anyone who they themselves have been adopted. There's actually quite an interesting group of people who, because they were adopted, they want to repeat and expand that, which is very exciting for me. I actually have an upcoming speaking engagement. It's really just trying to equip people that are highly capable to do this, to know that this is a viable option, and then not just that it's an option, but also how to do it. So the book was really written down to help you know how to navigate the process. So it's really about how to navigate it, but it's also, I'd like to just hear a little bit about okay, once you bring those kids home, there's something that happens there. I mean, it's not just a honeymoon phase and, oh no, I've got these kids and they're here. Tell me a little bit about what it was like to adjust to being a parent, an instant parent. Yeah, well, we were lucky and I, I encourage this and I mentioned the book um, to anyone that wants to adopt through foster care, you can do kind of a toe in the water approach first and it's called respite. And respite is where you're a foster parent's kind of backup. So um, foster families might need to go out of town or have something where they need someone to have their children overnight. So my husband and I did that for a sibling set, and we also did that for a young boy. Um, And you do this for one to 14 days. It just depends. And you get to know in advance, and I even include in the book all the questions you can ask when you take children in to do this. That way you're very aware of the routine. And I think that experience alone, Susan, was a huge insight because one thing my dad had told us before our very first uh, respite placement was be sure you're not Disney World. And I was like, what in the world are we talking about? Dad? Like, we're not taking them anywhere. And he was like, no, 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 no. He was like, listen to me. He was like, your lifestyle and what their lifestyle is might not be identical. So they don't get to go to these kinds of places or eat these kinds of food or sleep in this, whatever it is. 
He's like, you have to be really cognizant. And I think part of what he was dealing with and the wisdom he was sharing was I have a sister who is from my mom's first marriage. And so he was a stepdad and my sister would come over uh, every other weekend. And I think he was kind of giving me the insight of I had to balance how to help her lifestyle be consistent. And so to your question, Susan, about like, how was that? One thing um, that I think my husband, one of his strengths as an educator is he really understands what kids need and kids need stability. And my employer had said, if you want to go ahead, like you can take maternity leave, you can spend time off with your kids. And as counter as this sounds, I didn't do it. In that moment, I waited until after our adoption day. And the reason I didn't was because we wanted our kids to very quickly be able to have a schedule. And we found a preschool they could attend. They moved in on a Thursday. So we had like four days together where it was more of like a weekend routine. Um, but we really wanted to establish bedtime. We wanted to establish taking a bath. Gotcha. Just, just those simple things. Um, that helped them know they had stability in their lives. Um, and so to me, it was it was so fun. We, we got home, um, getting them from across state. We went to bed at like 10. <laughs> so we're like calling our kids. And one of our neighbors was so, so sweet and stayed up to help my husband unload the car. And, um, you know, kind of per typical foster care stereotype, my kids brought trash bags full of their things. I mean, it just, it, it, it's real. Like those, right, those are real right. pieces sure. that happen. But we just, we wanted to help our kids understand routine like we were we knew they wanted we wanted to have a nap time so we just try to kind of organize the routine like that uh, we also uniquely one thing that i thought was rather rather interesting about our kids and, and getting to know them was they didn't understand that things repeat themselves and when i say that what i mean is they didn't understand that summertime that warmer weather they moved in in may um, we actually met mother's day weekend and they didn't understand that, like, there was a summer where during that time you swim, like, it's just things like that. And so taking my background as being a nanny and my husband's background as being an educator, we made these little rectangular slips of paper, and we made a calendar on the fridge. And under each month, we would put the things that go on that month. So whether it's, you know, the, the book reading program at the library or Mother's Day or so-and-so's birthday, and we mm -hmm. had this little magnet, two-thirds <laughs> magnet, that would travel <laughs> – to these different things on the fridge so they could see the order. They could see the order and they could see that it repeated itself the next year. So we really focused on building stability, but also getting to know them mm -hmm. and what, you know, who they were. And that stability is, is, is huge in whether it's a adoptive family or even just a regular family too. But especially I think for the adoptive family, it sounds like, you know, it's really cool. Our church actually has a small group called Open Arms. And this small group is for fo basically for foster and adoptive families so that they can get the support within the fam the network. And I think what you're talking about here with this book and everything is look, let's 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 find each other. Let's support mm -hmm. each other. Let's encourage each other in this calling, you know, in this decision that you make to have children. If there's something you would like to say to somebody out there who's on the fence or their daughter's on the fence or they're thinking about adoption, what what's that one thing you would like to say to them? I love your question um, because, you, yeah, there, there are people that are listening that will never tell you or me that they're thinking those things, right? That deep down in my heart, I've always wanted to, but I, right? There's there's that I haven't or I can't. Um, I actually wrote an entire section on my book for you, whoever you are. Uh, it's called The Fierce. And just acknowledging, like, why? Why why not? And, I, and I, I honor that not all of us are called to do this. But I also um, honor that we can all do something about this. 
Um, and I mentioned that because just yesterday, a high school cross country friend, she has a YouTube channel and she doesn't feel called to do this, but she used her channel to talk about the book and to equip others. And so she became an advocate, even though she doesn't exactly. feel like she's supposed to be the adoptive parent. So I do believe we're all called to advocate and that can look like anything, right? It can be sharing a post. It can be getting a copy and giving it to someone. Yeah. And honestly, it's so funny. I've been asked like, oh, are you like an Amazon bestseller yet? Are you with this or that yet? And I'm like, that's actually not my intent. Right. I don't ever care if I reach that status. And in fact, I don't even care if you buy my book because this isn't about how many books could I sell. It's about how many families will go do this. And right. so I think right. to you, the person that says I want to, but I can't, um, there can be so many reasons why you might be in a similar situation that I was where your significant other is on board and you got to work through that. Um, you might have to do what I did. I share this in the book. I had I had some kinks in my life, some childhood things that I had never talked about and addressed. Like my husband knew all of them, but I'd never like gone to counseling for it. And you might be afraid. You might be afraid to have to go think through those things from your childhood that weren't the prettiest, that have probably scarred you and impacted who you are. So if, if that's you specifically, I just want to encourage you. I had such a beautiful process in that. It, it took a lot of tears. It took a lot of vulnerability, but I will tell you on the, on the other end of that, the fruit was in, in having my kids. Cause one of the things you do, uh, especially when your kids and you first get to live together through the adoption process is you want to go to counseling. And as young children, we, we took our kids to uh, play therapy, but a wonderful play therapist uh, where they use toys and things to, to talk through feelings and things like that. And one of my favorite parts about helping and encouraging my kids to do counseling, Susan, was being able to say, you can talk about this. Like, it is so healthy and so good for you to go there and I've gone there in a child-appropriate way. This is why. And you don't need to be embarrassed to talk to grandparents about this. Or even if you go to school and you want to say, I'm going to therapy, like, you might have kids that think you're weird, but this is how you can respond because there's such a healing that happens. It is. And and we allow ourselves. And our God is a God of healing. He wants to heal. Mm -hmm. And like he always does, you know, you always talk about this win-win situation. What God does is, is in this process, you're not only providing a fan club for this, the, these children, God's doing something in you too. And I think that one of the things we all have to come to peace with whatever God calls us to do is that it's, yes, it is for the other person, but it's also for us. We're going to learn something in the process about God, about what he's possible, what he can do. So I am so excited um, that this, this resource is available. I am going to be offering this, just sign up for it. We have a giveaway. We're going to be giving, giving this book away. So you can go to my website, Susan K. Hoekstra. Dot com for a giveaway, or you could obviously get the book on um, Amazon and wherever. The heart of it is if we can help a child now, like Joyce Meyer says, she says, if you can help a child, you might be spending not years repairing an adult. And so with that, mm-hmm. I just I just want to say thank you, Marcy, for being here. Look forward to seeing what God is going to do with this book and the ministry. And uh, thanks again for being here. Today on Ask the Host. Today's question is from a friend in Toledo, Ohio. Susan, I keep hearing about a book you wrote, but I have yet to find it. Can you tell me more? Yes, there is a book I've been working on for years, but I'm excited to say it's going to be released this summer. 
The book is titled A Firm Grasp, Feeling Validated in a Notice Me World. Um, this book encourages self-awareness through therapeutic insights, scripture, and music. And my prayer is that A Firm Grasp will help you understand the importance of your need to be validated and affirmed, explore ways you have tried to seek validation and affirmation which didn't satisfy, and discover new ways to acknowledge yourself and others. So get ready to get a firm grasp and see how the God of mercy satisfies. If you'd like to be a member of the book launch team, you can go to my website at susankhookster.com and sign up. As always, I appreciate your support in getting the message of mercy out there. Until next time, take notice. Oh